Okay, if you'd open up to First uh, Thessalonians, chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 2. First Thessalonians, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let's go to the Lord in a, in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And uh, we're, we're a small church, and we don't have a, a lot to offer in the eyes of the world. But we worship you, your son, and your spirit from the heart. We pray together and intercede for others. We fellowship with one another. We serve one another. And we believe your word. And so I pray, Lord, that since the people who are here today are here to hear your truth, not the lies of man, I pray that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so I would not lead anyone astray. Please, Lord, open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. Empower us to apply these truths to our lives, to be all that you called us to be, to help us to learn from the lessons that Paul taught the Thessalonians and help us to apply these truths to our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So we gave the background last week of the Thessalonians, Paul had planted the church just a year earlier, okay? And so that's one, one thing I got in common with, with Paul on preaching to you and Paul's letter to them, by the grace of God, I planted this church with the five or six people that were faithful. And so I planted this church. Of course, it was like almost exactly, by the way, we're in March, almost exactly 35 years ago. Paul, just one year, I'm sure he had greater growth in every sense of the word in one year than we've had in 35 years, but that's the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit working through him. But he starts out, what we covered last week after the introduction, Paul Silvanus, that's Silas, the guy that was in the Philippian jail with him, Paul Silvanus and Timothy, the young guy that Paul took on a second missionary journey, to the church of the Thessalonians, he had planted that church just a year earlier, had to flee because of all the violence. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make one more comment on that passage because grace, charis, was the Greek Gentile greeting. And Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. But peace, the Greek word is Irene. He's writing this in Greek, but that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word shalom. And the Jews would greet people with shalom. The Jews would greet people with shalom. The Greeks, the Gentiles, would greet them with favor and grace. Okay? So I pointed that out. But even though Paul is bringing together Jew and Gentile in this greeting, it's also very Jewish. And the more I study it, the more I think that this is 
Paul's version, kind of an abridged version, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's Paul's version of the priestly blessing found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. So if you turn to Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, And verses 24 to 26. And so Paul takes this priestly blessing and he understands that we're all a kingdom of priests now. We don't have a, a Christian priesthood. We would disagree with our Episcopalian friends and our Anglican friends and our Roman Catholic friends. All believers are priests. We all intercede for others. We all offer sacrifices. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. And so Paul takes the ironic blessing to the, the priesthood that came from Aaron. And uh, he takes this blessing and he passes it on to them. It's like, it's like he's telling the Thessalonians, man, I, I, I planted the church. I led you guys to Christ. And I'll, let me pray a blessing over you. And he does it real quick in an abridged form, but I think he gets it right from the priestly blessing he does this also with the Shema. We don't have time to look at it in 1 Corinthians 8. He gives the, the New Covenant version of the Shema. And um, that there's only the God of Israel is one God. And, uh, and but here, but Paul gives it so this, in this grace and peace, we, we read through it and we just think no big deal. And what you have is a shepherd expressing love for his flock saying, I wish upon you grace and peace. So as we start this sermon today, I just want to go back to that and read this, not just to read it, but as the pastor of this church, um, to pray over you, God's blessings upon you. <laughs> you know, I was not a good guy. I'm not, you know, God's got a lot of work to do on me now. But before I was saved, I manipulated people. I was very self-centered. And so the day I got saved, I figured the least I could do is wish people, God bless you. And I say it a lot, but I, I really mean it. And, um, and so as we read this passage, uh, take it as a blessing from God to you, from, from your pastor to you. This blessing reads, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And this, this priestly blessing that the Jews pronounced upon their priesthood, the Apostle Paul abridges it to grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and I'm telling you, uh, don't take God's blessings for granted. Whether God's just directly blessing you or he's pouring his blessings upon you through someone else, don't take them for granted. Paul didn't. And we're, we're living in a time... The Thessalonians, when you name the name of Jesus, you got beat up. 
you got whooped, okay? We're getting pretty close to that right now. We got senators right now that are drilling FBI leaders and Department of Justice leaders wanting to know how come people who burn down our cities, who hate America, you guys don't press charges, yet you lock up pro-life peoples. What's wrong with that picture? You don't investigate the uh, activity against Christians right now, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, but we're going to see. There's going to be three little words we're going to learn in this sermon that we're going to talk about, faith, hope, and love, and uh, that's what it's all about. We got hope. Our hope is in Jesus, not, not the United States government. We try to be wise and we try to make the right decisions and speak the truth in love. But we got to recognize we got a culture of lies. And God called us to proclaim truth in the midst of a culture of lies. And uh, yeah, we need revival. I think, I think you know, I, I wrote a book in 1987, The Decay of a Nation, The Need for National Revival. Where I said in that book, I thought that by the year 2020, we would lose our freedom if we didn't have widespread revival. And um, I don't know about you, but if you can get canceled and if you can lose your job because the government's telling you you got to do this, you got to do that, um, our freedom is eroding. But whatever the case, uh, I'm praying for revival now. People think we got revival in Asbury, Kentucky. I don't know. I can't, the way I judge revival, I got to look at it five or 10 years later, see the, what, what the fruit is that comes out of it. There's a movie playing. We might even go see it today, the Jesus Revolution about Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. With the Jesus movement, you had the Children of God cult, you had all these hippies and Jesus freak movement. Was it real? Was any part of it real? Well, as the decades went on, Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel, it was the real deal. And now there's a movie on about that. We need revival. I think we're so late in the game that if we had widespread revival in America, I think judgment is still coming to America. I think we're past the point of no return. But what that will do, it will solidify the remnant. It will solidify the remnant. And you can have revival in the midst of uh, a society, a civilization collapsing. Now, if God wants to turn the whole thing around, he's God. And that's his business, okay? I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I wouldn't be betting on America. And, um, but I tell you, I got this thing called hope. My hope's not in America. My hope's not in my own righteousness or whatever. My hope's not in you. My hope's not in the building. My hope's not in wealth. My hope is in the lamb who was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And when he comes back and takes his stand upon the earth, he will make things right. But he is our hope. And I'm telling you, we're getting to a point. He's going to be, you know, the, the Bible says on one side, you know, the issue, the Bible says God promises to meet your needs. The other side of that coin, in the end, all you need is Jesus. 
And so everything else, even if you're American, even if you're a spoiled American like me, everything else can be taken from you except Jesus. So Bill Gates, he thinks he wants me to eat bug burgers while he eats steak. He thinks he doesn't want me to drive a car or whatever. He might, he might be able to take away my burgers. He might shut down half my diet by closing down McDonald's, okay? Um, uh, he might take away my car, okay? He can't take Jesus from me. And he's got to an answer to Jesus someday, as we all do. And uh, so grace and peace to you, not just to the Thessalonians. Grace, God's grace, God's favor, and God's peace be with all of you. We're not going to have peace in this world, but we have hope because we know Jesus has overcome the world. So verses 2 to 10, the rest of this chapter, Paul thanks God for the Thessalonian believers. Look at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. I, I got two questions to ask you. I don't even like how I answer these questions. I, you know, I'm convicted. Paul prays for the Thessalonians and thanks God for them. Do we thank God for our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Or we just take them for granted? Okay, I think if we got locked up for preaching Jesus and they put us in solitary confinement, we start appreciating each other a lot more. Sometimes we don't appreciate, we're not grateful until we lose what we have. Do we thank God for our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord? That's supposed to be a daily thing for us. So Paul prays for them and thanks God for them. Verses 3 to 4, he remembers their work for God's kingdom. Just one year. You know, here in the American church, we kind of give you exemption. Your first year or two, you're kind of allowed to slime as a Christian, you know? It's like, well, yeah, you're not going to turn into Billy Graham overnight, so just kind of. And uh, these guys were lighting it up. That first year of getting saved and the church getting planted, and they were lighting it up. And so Paul says in verses 3 and 4, remembering without ceasing, he's praying for them, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, become a man. Don't ever forget that. He remembers without ceasing in, in his prayer, their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. In the sight of God, our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. You see, when we bear fruit for God's kingdom, it starts to make it pretty obvious that we really are of the elect of God. Anybody can call themselves a Christian. In fact, that's one of the toughest, toughest things about leading people to Christ in America today is there's so many people who aren't really Christians who call themselves Christians, and it takes away everybody's incentive from coming to Christ. That's why C.S. Lewis said, again, 
the best case, the best evidence for Christianity is Christians. The best evidence against Christianity is Christians. It just depends which Christians you're talking to. Okay? But when Paul sees their work of faith, the Holy Spirit bearing his fruit in their life, their labor of love and their patience of hope in the midst of sufferings, they had hope in the Lord Jesus. It's like, you know, we know you're elected by God. We know you're the real deal. Okay? And um, that's why I always take a wait-and-see attitude towards revival. Okay? Because, hey, you know, you can get people and get emotional and cry and weep and say they trust in Jesus and this and that. But if two years from then they're not going to church, they're just going to the bars and getting drunk and taking God's name in vain, was it even real? Paul could say within one year he saw evidence that these people were of the elect, that these people were genuinely saved. But he commends them for their faith, hope, and love. Okay? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, Paul was glad that the Corinthians had all the gifts of the Spirit. He was upset, though, because they were using it without love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, you know, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's your report card. And you shouldn't, by the way, say, well, I want self-control. I don't want love and patience or whatever. No. You're supposed to bear all the fruit of the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in your life. That's your report card before God. You know, I remember reading in Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh, all these horrible sins. And I was like a new believer. I was like, man, I can't wait to read the deeds of the Spirit. No, he didn't go to the deeds. He goes to the fruit of the Spirit. If you got, if you, if, if you got love, joy, peace, then the overflow of your heart is going to be deeds that are pleasing to the Lord. But God, you know, James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. But James is not saying that's all there is to it. Okay? Yeah, you got to hear or read the word. You got to do what the word says. But then you got to be Christ-like. Okay? It's not just about outward obedience. If it's just about outward obedience, the Pharisees would have been okay. So Paul has to point it out. Look, man, you guys got all the spiritual gifts. You don't have love and the fruit of the Spirit. You're nothing but a clanging bell. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in your life. And he closes out 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. With verse 13, and now abide, he says the gifts are going to be falling away. The gifts are going to be going away when Jesus comes back. So some guy might think, I'm a real hot shot. I give people a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. I speak in tongues. I got the interpretation of tongues. I'm a hot shot. Paul's saying, look, that stuff's going to fade away because now we know in part. But the day will come when we will see Jesus face to face and we'll fully know 
as we are fully known. And so he's saying that this, this stuff is going to fade away, the gifts. But then he says, but now abide, now remain faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now you tell me if the, if the Thessalonians had a good report card with the Lord at this point during their first year as a church, Paul commends them for their faith, their hope, and their love. Now, why does he commend them for their faith, their hope, and their love? Uh, was it just because they tell it? So, hey, yeah, yeah, we believe, Paul. Our hope is in Jesus. Yeah, we love one another. Okay? Actions speak louder than words. Okay? And so, for Paul, when he saw with, with them, when he saw their work of faith, Work, deeds that could only be produced by true saving faith. When he saw their labor of love, hard work that could only be done by love. I mean, love, love gets busy. Love doesn't collect unemployment. Love, love works. Okay? You know, for God so loved the world, period? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love gives. Love serves. Love works. Paul could see that. Say, man, these guys, the work that they do is is Holy Spirit-empowered work. It's evidence of true saving faith. The love that they have, their labor of love. You know, G Jesus summed up the whole, you know, the, the, you got over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, and the Ten Commandments sums them up as ten. And the first four is our relationship with Yahweh, and the last six is our relationship with our neighbor. Jesus then sums up the Ten Commandments, which sum up all the Old Testament laws, Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments, which is two commands. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you really do love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to start doing labor of love. You're going to start doing work of faith. There's a lot of people, you know, people will ask me, well, if I love God, love my neighbor as myself, will I go to heaven? I'd say yes. But the fact is you can't do that unless you first trust in Jesus for salvation. Amen. you got to trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. The Holy Spirit has to give you the new birth, has to indwell you, and then empower you from the heart for the first time in your life to obey God from the heart. Okay? Um, but faith, hope, and, and love. And uh, he commends them for the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were going through, and it's in the sight of God the Father, they were going through some difficult times. Things are going to get really hot in the kitchen for us Americans. We're, we're now the bad guys. Okay? God, believe me, I have colleagues in Canada, and they are suffering greatly. What did, uh, they just arrested a pastor who spoke out against um, 
uh, transgender people trying to speak to uh, uh, their kids in the school. And so he got arrested. They threw cuffs on him. And um, um, I think in New Jersey, we just had a uh, father showed up at a parent-teacher thing and had the son read some of the required reading for their for the kids. And um, and his little son was reading all this pornographically graphic garbage to show the other parents, this is the trash that they're trying to give us. And um, now what I call for in the 1980s is just, just pull your kids out of the public schools. Because I don't think Jesus, I don't think Jesus told the apostles, go take your kids to a good Roman school, get a good pagan education. Okay, beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. People who don't fear the Lord, they can't help you. I'm, I praise God we got some Christians teaching there, okay? Um, I think of um, Veronica Moore. Had an entire career teaching in the public schools, but she put her four kids, Christian education, her and Jimmy, paid all the way through. And... Um, so, but whatever the case, uh, in the midst of suffering, what do we need? We need the patience of hope. It's easy for us to freak out. It's easy for me to say, you know, if I mention a few names today in a sermon, when that goes out on Seattle radio and on the internet, that could be evidence someday to build a case against me and to lock me up. I got to have the patience of hope. You know, if God wants me to have a good prison ministry, yes, I'll miss my wife. I'll miss my grandson. If they want to lock me up in solitary confinement, my devotional life will get a lot better. Um, but we got my either my look either my hope is in Jesus or it's in the things of this world. It can't be in both. Okay. Do I want things to be right on planet Earth? Yes. But our hope is King Jesus. Okay? And I'll, I'll come right out and tell you, look, if the orange man runs again, he's got my vote. I'll just come right out and tell you. And you disagree with me, I don't care. But he's not going to save America. There's only one guy who can save America. And that's King Jesus. If I were the president, if I were the king of the world, the world wouldn't be much better than it is right now. Okay? We don't need me. We don't need Trump. We need King Jesus. Is your hope in him or is it in the wisdom of the world? I got, I got friends now supposed to be defenders of the Christian faith that are now teaching that God used evolution. So one of the defenders of the faith, and by the way, he's got a big following. We're going to have a lot of young Christian apologists defending the Christian faith, but, at the, but giving up on creation. And we're, we're supposed to look to them for leadership? My hope's not in Anthony Fauci. 
My hope's not in Richard Dawkins. My hope's not in wisdom of man and science or whatever. My hope is in King Jesus. And um, our only hope is Jesus. Look at Titus 2.13. Paul's letter to Titus, another young guy. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. In fact, we'll take it at start at verse 11. Paul says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Our hope is in the return of King Jesus. Okay? And uh, if you put your hope in anything else, you know, it's a false hope. And... Some of our brothers and sisters right in this church, some believe that, that Jesus is going to take us away before the tribulation starts. Others say the middle. Others say toward the end. Others say after the tribulation. I'm one of those who believes it's after the tribulation. But regardless of when you think he's coming for the church, that's our hope, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, we try to stand up for what is right. I mean, uh, you know, the prophets, like Jeremiah, they continued to preach the truth, even though they knew Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Babylonians are going to demolish it. And he lamented after that occurred, lamentations. But um, so we still preach the truth. But as the things of this world crumble, and they will crumble, we need to hope in Jesus. We need to recognize the Bible tells us everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And in the end, there's only one thing that cannot be shaken, and that is the kingdom of God. Maybe you came to church today and you kind of, I know, I, I do not feel, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I do not feel like a powerful guy, you know. All my life I've tried to be athletic, in all my life, I've been plagued with self-inflicted injuries. And, um, and you know, my back is killing me, sciatic nerve stuff. You know, I'm sure, like, last week, people probably thought, man, what a holy man. He was the only guy in the church who sang all the worship, worship songs standing up. Well, sometimes I can't sit down, you know. <laughs> it's just too painful. So I say, so if you came to the church this morning feeling like a beaten-up, weary out, wimp, join the club. Your pastor felt that way too. And I might even feel like, you know what? There's no hope. Things are just getting too bad. There's just no hope. It's there, I got to say no. Let God be true. And every man, even me, let God be true and every man a liar. There is a hope. 
And we don't look for hope in the wisdom of man. We look to a manger. We look to a carpenter. We look to a wooden cross, an empty tomb, and a triumphal return. Our hope is in Jesus. If your hope is not in Jesus, you got a question, do I even know him? But if your hope is in Jesus, and if you're living by faith, trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, trusting in the Holy Spirit for guidance for daily living, then, then, then true saving faith is going to produce good works. You're going to have the patience of hope, and you're going, to, you're going to start through the power of the Holy Spirit, loving God with everything you got, and loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, I, I, I just... I was praying a few weeks ago, and I said, Lord, Lord this, this world is so ugly, and I make it just a little uglier. We all want revival. Nobody wants repentance, but we all want revival. If we just have, I don't, you know, I'll be honest with you. If we don't have revival in culture, whatever. We need revival in the church, the American church. But you want to start revival? Look in the mirror. And that's a good place to start. Do you have work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope? Is Jesus your only hope? You know, some of it, I mean, there's sometimes, sometimes things go so well that I'm almost like, yeah, Jesus, I want you to come back, but give me a few years of this, more of this, because I'm, I'm kind of pretty content with the things of this world. It's like, no, we got to love Jesus so much that whether it's good days or bad days, our hope is in King Jesus. And, uh, that is a hope that will not disappoint. Um, now, Paul had preached the gospel to them. He, he knew they were of the elect, true believers, because their faith, their labor of love, because of their patience of hope. And then uh, Paul preached the gospel to them, verse 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, for our gospel, the good news, did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul had preached the gospel to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. When the gospel is first preached, where it's never been preached before, it is often accompanied by signs and wonders. Look at Moses and the signs and wonders. Look at Jesus and the apostles and the signs and wonders. Look at foreign missionaries. Some of them are not even Pentecostal. You get Baptist elderly foreign missionaries, and they talk about having power encounters with a shaman and casting demons out of them. Okay? Marvin and Harriet Sconce, tremendous miracles with them. Marvin, uh, he was preaching in Papua New Guinea, which... Okay, there's a lot of cannibals out there. And so he was preaching to one tribe, and the other tribe were cannibals, the neighboring tribe. And Marvin's like, he was like 6'4", probably about 280, 
but had like hands of a seven foot. You know, he's just real big head, big feature. He was a big six foot four, and um, and this little guy, probably about four foot six, four foot seven. If I were a missionary out there, they'd probably call me the um, the the great white preacher, the giant, the giant white preacher. The, the, the people were so small out there. But he was teaching kids about the Bible, and then a cannibal came from a tribe, and he put all the kids behind him. And believe me, Marvin could hide 20 kids behind himself. He was that big. And this guy from about 20 feet away took a bow out, shot and missed, took another bow out, another arrow out, shot and missed, and then uttered something in his language and ran away. And um, the next day, Marvin uh, was coming home to his hut. They lived like the people lived. And he sees the guy who tried to kill him and who probably wanted to eat him too, um, talking to his wife, trying to get through the language barrier. So Marvin runs up and finds out she's leading the guy to Christ. And when they broke down the language barrier, they found out the guy was saying, look, he said, look, when I'm hungry, I can shoot my arrow and I never miss. I hit a bird in mid-flight. Little tiny birds. And when I get really hungry, I shoot children from, from this tribe. And I never miss, even if they're moving. You're standing still. I'm 20 feet away. You're a really big target. I shot twice and missed. And, and he pretty much said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, your God's bigger than my God. So God's into these power encounter things when the gospel is first preached in an area where God will show the false gods, the people who are controlled by demons, he'll show them that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is greater than all the other gods. And we can still say that today. We need to tell our leaders when they try to stamp out religious freedom and freedom of speech and, um, and, and try to clamp down on our freedoms in this cancel culture. We got to let them remind them, hey, my God's bigger than your God. And uh, but whatever the case, God would often accompany the gospel, the preaching of the good news with power. Look at what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel is the good news. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Okay. Are you ashamed of the gospel? I would say, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, why didn't I share it with somebody yesterday? Okay? Every once in a while, you, you've known a guy for 10 years, and then uh, you meet his brother. You're like, I didn't know you had a brother. Sometimes the guy's like kind of ashamed of his brother. Okay? Uh, I'm not, by the way. Um, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, why don't we share the good news with others? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, he quotes from Habakkuk from the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. What is from faith to faith? It's from saving faith to living faith. How do I know that? Well, the just, how do the just get just? Justification is by faith alone. So the just, those who true saving faith, they're going to then live by faith. Okay? So I know we are not only saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus alone, we will grow in the Lord and mature in the Lord by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus alone. Okay? And and really, it's not, Paul says, don't, don't focus too much on the letter of the law. Focus on the spirit of the law. What is the spirit of the law? The spirit of all these guidelines God gives us in the Bible are to encourage us and to give us direction about loving God with everything we got and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So that's the spirit of the law. However, 99 out of 100 times, the letter, the spirit of the law is not going to contradict the letter of the law. So if you think, well, I'm living by the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, and you're constantly living contrary to what the Bible says, it's like, whoa, I need to, I need to check what spirit's leading me because it's not the Holy Spirit. But every once in a while, you know, for the Jews of Jesus' day, rest on the Sabbath day, and a guy needs to be healed, what did Jesus do? He healed the guy on the Sabbath day because he said the Sabbath law uh, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But whatever the case, uh, the power of the gospel is that the gospel has the power to save, the good news saves, and it has the power to transform lives. Now, having said that, I'm not going to diminish the fact that when Paul was in town, miracles were happening. And by the way, if God wants to do miracles right now, you want to pray for my back, pray for my back. You want to pray for my wife's health, pray for her health. You've got plenty of people suffering in the church. Cease, I can remember, this is decades ago, Cease's mom was like in her 80s, her late 80s. And she had a prayer request. We had about 30 people in the church back then. And her prayer request was that her mom's got uh, cancer, terminal cancer, no cure. And so I said, well, how old is your mom? She said, well, she's in her 80s. And I'm thinking like, you know, I was a younger guy back then. And I'm like, well, she lived a good long life. You know, I said, does she know the Lord? Yes, yeah, she knows the Lord. I'm like, but I thought, you know, Cease is a nice lady. So I got up there, prayed a lame prayer with the church, and, and uh, dear Lord, if it be your will, you know, just heal Cease's mom of cancer. Well, the next Sunday, Cease comes in and asks for prayer for her mom. I'm like, thinking, you know, Cease is the nicest lady on the planet, but are we going to be praying this prayer week after week after week? I mean, the lady's lived a good long life, and the doctors are convinced she's got terminal cancer. And um, so we prayed again, prayed that lame prayer. Then the third week, she shows up for church. I'm like, oh, boy, here it comes again. 
And C says, I got a praise report. Um, my mom doesn't have cancer anymore. She ended up living like another 10 years. And, um, and, she, and C told me, the doctors called it, a, the doctor said it was a miracle. And you know, the first thought that came to my mind, and this is a confession, the first thought that came to my mind, isn't that just like these atheist doctors they would, rather, they would rather call something a miracle than admit that they misdiagnosed the thing in the first place. And it's like, no. Apparently, God answered our prayer. And, um, and we've had other cases throughout the years. Nothing spectacular. We're not like, you know, hooting and hollering and this and that and come in here and, and if you got enough faith and lack, lack no uh, no unconfessed sin. God's going to guarantee your healing. By, by the way, God has guaranteed complete healing for every Christian. But that's when you get your immortal bodies. So if a guy's got a bad leg and God heals his bad leg, so now he walks well, if he thinks he's completely healed, I want to see his expression when Jesus comes back and he gets his immortal body. Okay? So God's going to fully heal us body, soul, and spirit um, but right now, we're still, according to Romans 8, we're adopted as sons and daughters of the Lord through Jesus. Spiritually, we still await the adoption of our bodies. That's when Jesus comes back. And um, but, uh, but here, the power of the gospel. So basically what I'm saying, um, The, with the preaching of the gospel, there will always be power. If the true gospel is preached, there will be a display of God's power. Now, most of the time, that is the power to save and the power to transform lives. Sometimes, a shaman gets knocked to the ground and gets seven demons cast out of him. Okay? I leave that to God. With Trinity Bible Fellowship, since we started 35 years ago, almost to the day, we have focused on the fruit of the Spirit, and then we try not to quench the Holy Spirit if he wants to do miraculous stuff. But we know it's his will. Secret to prayer is not dragging God off the throne to do our will, but it's us rising up to seek and desire and ask for God's will. And uh, look at what Paul said when he's going to visit the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians... Chapter 4, in fact, we'll read 19 through 21, or in fact, 18 through 21. The Corinthians, man, it's, these are not like the Thessalonians, man. These guys are divided. They're saying, Apollos is a better preacher than Paul, even though Paul and Apollos were united, and Peter were united, Cephas. These people were dividing over that, and some of them were oohing and on about the Greek philosophers and their false teachings. And so Paul, Paul is not, I don't get the impression from reading God's word that Paul was the toughest guy in town. Okay? But Paul had spiritual power. And I get that sometimes back in Jersey. I got, believe me, I got cousins that um, they're kind of a version of me only six inches taller and 50 pounds heavier. But when they're sin and wrongdoing, they never. 
I call them up and I talk to them and they just, they, sometimes they lie, tell me I won't do it again or whatever, but there's power there. It's not power that I abuse, but they know that I know the Lord. Paul said this, uh, verses 18 to 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now some are puffed up, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So Paul's saying the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Yes, we preach words, but the true gospel has the power to save and to transform lives and do whatever it is that God has determined will be done. Okay? And... um you may have come here feeling weak and weary and nervous about the future, wondering if your job is going to be lost because of your faith in Christ, okay? If you're a believer, you're in God's kingdom. And the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. I'm talking today. I'm talking... He, he, he might feel, hey, you know, Pastor Phil, I'm just a regular guy. Well, it's the only kind of guys and gals that God uses are regular people. It's an irregular God. I mean, the one and only. You may not know it. I'm not always conscious of it. But right now, I'm talking to some of the most powerful people in this county. I'm talking to some of the most powerful people in Western Washington because we got some we got some people coming from the Seattle area and coming from Edmonds, so it's not just Kitsap County. Now there's other churches like ours, Bible believing, Bible preaching churches, and they have some of the most powerful people too. Okay. I'm sure when Goliath was looking at a shepherd boy named David, he was not impressed, okay? But that's only because the nine-and-a-half-foot-tall Goliath failed to look at who David's God was. We got lots of problems that are bigger than us, but our God is bigger than any problem we could ever face. Paul had preached the gospel to the, to the Thessalonians, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel of this word, yeah, you got to preach words. But they're words that are power. You know, the, the words, look at the, the words of the Greek philosophers. The Corinthians were very influenced by them. There's a, sometimes they get it right, too. Sometimes Socrates, Plato, Aristotle get it right. They couldn't get it all right because they disagreed with each other on a lot of stuff. They never found Jesus. So Tertullian said, what indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? 221 AD. Brilliant thoughts and brilliant words in Greek philosophy, but no power to save. No power to transform lives. 
And if God wants to manifest his power on a whole other level, who's going to stop him? But when I speak to people who love Jesus and love his word, people who broken people who have a contrite heart, people who are humble, people who tremble at God's word, I'm speaking to the most powerful people on the planet. We got to look at we got to look at things through God's eyes. The kingdom of God is not consistent in words but in power. If Bill Gates walked in here assuming everybody in this room is saved, Bill Gates walks in here, he is the weakest person in the building. But he's got all this money. It's going to be shaken. He's got all these buildings. They're coming down. What Bill Gates doesn't have and what the people, the really powerful people of this world do have, we have hope because we have Jesus. But Paul had preached the gospel to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the good news, has the power to save and the power to transform lives. And because of this, Paul could see uh, he was confident uh, that they were saved. There was much assurance that the, the Holy Spirit was working through Paul in the preaching, much assurance that these people were saved. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were setting a godly example for them. You know, Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? I remember when Dan, I debated Dan Barker, and... Um, he doesn't publish that debate. I don't think he... He told me I did better than Norm Geisler did against him. I'm sure Dan lied to himself and said he won that debate, but he doesn't post it on his site. You got to go all through through our site and through other things and stuff. But uh, but he thought he got... He thought he had a gotcha moment when he, when he told me, what would you have to hear to stop believing in God? I said, I suppose somebody could give some kind of rational argument that that might confuse me and make me question my thinking, but there's nothing that could shake my belief in God. And um, and I, I tried to explain to him, he's stuck in modernistic, purely rationalistic thinking. But I said, look, you could pre- present document after document after document trying to prove to me that my brother Mark never existed. And I don't care how much data you produce, I would say, no, this is baloney. Why? Because I've had a personal encounter with my brother Mark and a personal relationship with him. Okay? If you're a believer, you got to listen, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit and letting you know that you're a child of God. Okay? Now, our subjective inward beliefs are based on the evidence. But right now, we've got billions and billions of dollars being poured into God-haters to attack our beliefs. But how can you give up on them? How can you give up on Jesus? You know, it's like Paul. In fact, I'm going to... Sorry, Pat, I'm going to turn there to... Uh, 2 Timothy 
chapter 1 and verse 12, when Paul's about to be put to death, 2 Timothy 1.12, so Paul had reason to doubt. I mean, it's just like, wow, they're going to kill me. Maybe Jesus isn't real. But Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. You get locked up for preaching Jesus, don't be ashamed. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You talk about assurance. You talk about knowing that you belong to King Jesus. Don't let, I don't care what the world does to you. The, the Thessalonians, they were being battered and beaten. They were being persecuted. But they knew Jesus, and they knew the power of his resurrection, and their faith could not be shaken. It's my prayer that we have that kind of faith. And we're going to stop there. We'll pick it up next week. But I just got three words for I love you. Um, I wish I could tell you things are going to be great in America for decades to come, but it's getting hot in the kitchen. But the three words I got for you, faith, hope, and love. Faith. Are you trusting in King Jesus? Are you trusting the Holy Spirit to guide and empower you to live a godly life? Love. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you loving God with everything you got? Living for him, not yourself. You love him, God, with everything you got, and loving your neighbor as yourself, even if your neighbor hates you. And then hope. Where is your hope? My hope's not in this world. Paul's hope was never in this world. Daniel's hope was never in this world. Our hope is in the crucified, risen, and soon to return King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. They can take everything we got, but they can't take Jesus. And so our hope is in the Lord Jesus. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. My hope is in you, Lord. It's close to the word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I, as a pastor of this church, I don't thank you enough for the people that are here. Paul was a good pastor. He always thanked you for the, the Christians that were in the churches that he planted, and he always prayed for them. So I thank you for these people, Lord. They're your people, and I pray for them. I pray that you give all of them, as, as well as me and my wife, you give us the faith to withstand the trials of life. You give us the hope in your son, not a hope in the passing temporary things of this world, 
and give us the love for you and for all others. Remind us, Lord, that the, the bad humans that are out there attacking the church, remind us, Lord, we're all bad. Some of, us, some of the bad ones got saved by you. And remind us that the ultimate enemy, Satan and his demons, are working through them. Those are our real enemies. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of God the Father, we can conquer for your kingdom if we are people of faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' precious name,